over the human authors to create this book called the Bible, uh, which just means book, by the way. Uh, it's the book, and it's God's Word. And God wants to speak to us. That's the, the wonderful thing. And so we take time every Sunday to get into His Word and to teach it, proclaim it, and by the Spirit of God, uh, His help to listen to it, believe and obey it. So we're going to be in Romans 14 today, verses 13 to 23. And before we get into that, let me ask you some questions. Have you ever got into an argument on social media? Well, that was emphatic. Um, when is the last time you got angry over something on social media? Some this morning maybe, huh? When is the last time you shared a controversial opinion on social media? You, you don't have to answer out loud, but you can. And, <laughs> and we can talk afterwards if that will help. Um, well, you're not alone. Uh, the stats show that there's a lot of this that goes on. 71% of social media users get angry at what they see. Um, the most common emoticon for the congressional Facebook page is what? The angry emoticon. That's the most common. Do you know what, guys, they're emoticon little things down there. They're happy emojis. Yeah, well, emoticon too, but emojis, yeah, what we're used to. You're right. But anyhow, you know, there's the heart one and all that. It's the angry one. That's the most common emoji on the Facebook, uh, the congressional Facebook page. Uh, many experts blame the increasing polarization of our country on the effect of social media in these ways. And you know how it works, right? Um, somebody shares an opinion, others react, various blogs and stats get cited, statements about fact checks and fake news get made. Uh, many come to watch the house burn, eventually it dies down, and then there's another one the next day, perhaps. Now, there are many worthy issues to debate, but I would submit that a contributing factor to the rancor and anger we increasingly see and feel is that we are quick with our opinions at times and not necessarily thinking about other important factors. We're quick with our opinions. Opinions that are really lesser opinions become do or die issues and we're not considering other important factors. The core idea that's here that we need to heed is that your opinions are not so important. And that's the topic of today's message, and the title of today's message. The church is called to do uh, something very different than the world in this. The church is called to approach opinions differently, especially those opinions that are not essential opinions. And we'll get into that and understand that. The good news of Christ radically changes our mindset in handling our opinions. And our passage today gives us a very different mindset based on some very important principles that come to us because of our new life in Christ. Our new life in Christ leads us to handle opinions very differently. So let's pray and ask God to teach us because I would submit that probably everyone here needs help, self-included, in this area. Let's ask God for help as we prepare to look at his word. Lord, we thank you. If you've not left us alone in this day of the internet, in this day of opinions, and in our neediness, our weakness, and our sinfulness, you have come to rescue us. And we thank you that this rescue uh, is a detailed rescue. It involves not only forgiveness, being counted righteous, being reconciled to you, but Lord, working that out in how we act and what we say and do. 
We thank you for this full rescue that you've determined to give us. And we thank you for your word that is such an important and essential means of this rescue. So now, come Holy Spirit, dwell with us. Help me to teach and proclaim accurately and helpfully. And as a result, Lord, that we would hear your voice. We would understand your word, your ways, the promises. We would believe these things, embrace them, and obey and live out our lives of fruitfulness in light of this. We pray. Holy Spirit, we know it's, it's you're the one who are committed to this more than we are, so come and help us. Glorify the worthy name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 14, verse 13, it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. God's word from Romans 14, 13 through 23. This passage teaches us that the non-essential opinions, that non-essential opinions must be handled in a way that we build others up and promote the peace of Christ. The love of Christ compels us to lay aside personal opinions to protect our brothers and sisters from spiritual harm, and promote peace and growth of God's church. To put it another way, your opinion is not so important. So what we're going to do is look at three reasons why your opinion is not so important. First, it's less important than your brother. Secondly, it's less important than the triune God. And thirdly, it's less important than your faith. So we'll just march through this passage I think you'll see these three reasons that your opinion is not so important. I know two weeks ago, uh, Brendan taught on this in the earlier section, verses 1 through 12. And that section used the word judgment or despise, uh, both connected words. Uh, it's basically an attitude towards those that, that hold different opinions uh, on things that are non-essential. And it's a real danger for us, and really, in some ways, the bane of God's church, that we have a tendency to, to elevate our opinions and these non-essential items to the point of judging and even harming others. 
there are various truths here that correct us and direct us on how to handle our opinions. Now, there are opinions that are more than personal perspectives. There are opinions that are essential opinions. So don't get me wrong here. Uh, Paul's not calling people to jettison essential opinions. There are opinions about truth that are really a matter of life and death. Truly are do or die, spiritually and physically and otherwise. That is true, and we need to understand that. But I also want to caution you to the reality that we as humans will often wrap essential opinions with non-essential opinions. We wrap them together. I think that is illustrated in our lives. It's illustrated historically. Actually, there's a major split in the historic church. Uh, that would be the church that would confess the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. There was a, a split in the year 1054 over the proper understanding of the Trinity. Now, that's an essential opinion, essential truth. The, who is the Trinity? Who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How do they relate? But if you study that split, that remains to this day, by the way, they both uh, pronounce anathema on each other, which meant basically you're going to hell because of this, this opinion. If you study the history of it, you'll see that it actually uh, included all these, these other aspects that probably had more to do with the split than the actual essential truth, the, the massive cultural, organizational, and language differences between the East and the West. May God heal that divide for his true church. But the reality that we see here is that essential opinions can be wrapped with non-essentials, and we need to be self-aware of that and heed the Word of God as we dig into it today. Even with, though, essential opinions, we are called to hold those things in a certain way. We're called to be gentle and humble and meek with those as well. So it's not that, like, you know, with a non-essential opinion, you're supposed to be all these things. But when it's essential, go for blood. No, that's, that's not true. The Word of God teaches us very clearly to, to be different with that. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. It says, and the Lord's servant, if we could project this, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is about essential truth. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, even with essential truth. Now, this isn't just for pastors, by the way. All the requirements for pastors in terms of character are requirements for all of God's people. Uh, pastors to exemplify those things. But everybody's called to the same gentleness. And we are to approach these things with gentleness. We are to address essential issues, and, and we as a church are committed to that. We are committed to building around the essential truths and, and important truths that go with it and to be gracious with the non-essentials. We don't require confession and belief in those non-essentials for membership. But we do require belief in, in a life that shows that belief in the essentials as captured really in the creeds. Even when we have essential things to address, we must address them gently, meekly, and objectively. We have a process, multiple processes we are committed to from Scripture Processes of peacemaking and church discipline and biblical speech that are from the Word of God and are captured in our documents as a church. We have practiced and taught accordingly for pretty much all of our 20 years as a church. And all of us who are our members are actually commit ourselves to these documents, to these biblical practices, to, to exercise, pursue biblical peacemaking, correct church discipline and biblical speech. 
and we are to walk through an objective process and be careful with our personal opinions. These are, these are important things, and Paul's not denying this. But he's at, he elsewhere shapes how we do this. We do this peacefully, meekly, gently, but truthfully, and using an objective process. But that's not what he's talking about today. He's talking about other things that are non-essentials. Other things that are of lesser importance, not of prime important, but importance, but more like third-level importance. That's what he's talking about. And we handle these issues differently. It's very clear here, actually. In the beginning, he's, he's profound in what he says. Therefore, because he's been talking about these issues of, of non-essentials, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. It's interesting that word decide in the ESV is, is actually the word judge. And so Paul is, is doing a play on words here. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather judge this. Not, not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. A stumbling block is basically something in their way, a literal stone of some sort in, in the metaphor, that they'll stumble over. Basically, the idea is they'll trip over this, and it's just not a little stub of your toe like, ooh, that hurts, but just... It's trip over and break your head on the ground sort of fall. That's the implication here. It's a stumbling block that brings permanent harm to somebody. And the word for hindrance is, is not just like a slightly inconvenient thing, but it's actually like a pit. You'll, the person falls into a pit and is trapped. These are strong words. And Paul is calling us to, to never do this. If we're going to judge, let's judge this. Not to do that. Not to do anything on non-essential opinions that will bring harm to somebody else that actually might be permanent harm. It's a very serious issue. Now, I'm sure Brendan covered this. And the day, the, the challenge was that you had a uh, mix in the church, may we have it today again, but where it was a lot of people from a Jewish background and a lot of Gentiles. And all this truth in the New Testament was kind of new for people, for everybody. And people who were from a Jewish background were used to living under the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant is very clear, actually. If you want to believe and follow God, there are things that you are prohibited from partaking in. Certain foods, certain practices, um, you were also instructed to, to follow certain days of worship in certain ways. A very strict view of the Sabbath. A very strict view of, of the other days. And in that church, people had indeed come to understand that they are free in Christ and forgiven. That Christ had fulfilled the law. But they were so used to this lifestyle, it was hard for them to make that step to stop doing those things and to be free. Their consciences were bound by it, even though they were free to do otherwise. They, the old covenant is no longer the covenant that we're under, and no longer the covenant that they were under. Now in the old covenant, by the way, if they did those prohibited things, it was essentially rejecting God, and the, the Bible, the Old Testament, teaches that you're cut off from God's people. Very serious issue for them. And again, as, although they understood that was no longer the truth, they were so used to it, it was hard to make that step. And that's what Paul's addressing. These are, particularly what to do for the Sabbath and whether or not to eat meat was not a prime issue. It was not a gospel issue. It was not a do or die issue. It was a, a lesser issue. And, and, and Paul is saying, guys, don't make this a big issue because you're going to cause problems for others. On either side of that issue, by the way, 
We're not to do that. Now, it's hard to think about that today because we don't have that dynamic, really. And first, I would just say that, that this makes it very clear, though, that there's a category of issues that are less important than the prime issues. So whether or not we have this reality of the old covenant people trying to understand how to live in the new covenant, the, the principle is still true. There's a whole category of issues that are not important enough to cause controversy and even damage in people's lives. But there are many modern applications of this. One would be the Sabbath. What do you do on a Sunday? What does God call you to do? What does he allow you to do? Can you work? Or are you not permitted to work? Can you play sports? Can you go to restaurants and therefore make others work? Can you watch football? Sorry, guys. I don't mean to cause a problem here. How about, do you have to go to church? Can you miss it sometimes? There are different views of this. And these, I would submit, are, are non-essential truths in the grand scheme of Scripture. We do have particular beliefs and practices as a church, and we as elders would, would define this uh, more specifically, but we don't require our members to do one thing or the other here. Well, another example is cultural engagement and dealing with things of culture. Is it okay to watch movies? Which type? What rating can you watch or not watch? Are there books you shouldn't read? Are there holidays that you can, shouldn't celebrate? Or should you celebrate them all? There's the area of food and drink and substances. Can you drink alcohol? How much? Can you smoke cigars or cigarettes? Can you eat fast food? Maybe it's an issue for some of us. Now, formerly, one of the most controversial issues in history has been alcohol. Uh, that was not the case 150 years ago, but the temperance movement brought a lot of change in the perspective of the church. For good reason, by the way. There was a lot of very serious alcoholism in our country at that time. Um, and it led to a very different view among American evangelicals. And even to this day, 70 to 80% of Baptists and Pentecostals believe that it's, that it's wrong to drink alcohol. That's a, that's a big number. And there are still institutions, uh, one of which we uh, associate with, that, and churches that forbid the drinking of alcohol. We don't as a church, by the way, just so you know. But I think the most recent and most controversial example for us is something that's happened in the past three years. It's COVID and the pandemic. And there are lots of second and third level issues and opinions on this, right? Should we do everything the government tells us? Should we get vaccinated? Should we not get vaccinated? Should we allow meeting online or not? Should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? How do we draw the line on these things? Anyone have struggles and opinions on those things? I think so, right? Um, I think it's, there, this passage is incredibly helpful for us as we navigate these things. And Paul wants to make it clear that we're to never do anything with these non-essential opinions to bring harm to others, to bring harm to the church. That's the bottom line. Your opinion on this particular issue is not so important. 
It has some importance, but it's not so important. Now, it's interesting to watch what Paul says. He, he sets that out right at the beginning of our section. And then he says in verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks, thinks it is unclean. It's interesting. Paul uh, makes a clear statement on what he believes here. And you would think like, Paul, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? Because you're trying to like settle this issue in the sense that don't get so worked up on the issue. Some people believe this one thing, some people believe another. And so he's talking to an audience where there are actually people who do think there is unclean things based on, on Old Testament law. And he is not afraid to say, well, actually, I don't agree. I am persuaded. And actually, Jesus teaches this. And he does. Mark chapter 7, he makes it very clear in his teaching on what defiles somebody. He says, it's what comes out of you, from your heart, out of sin, that you're defiled. It's not what goes in. And Mark says, by this he makes it clear that everything is clean. We know everything's clean because in Genesis, when God makes all things, and by the way, we're going to do a series in Genesis, Lord willing, uh, start of next year, I think. Um, when God makes all things, he says it's good and very good. His creation's good. Nothing in his creation is unclean. It's sin that's unclean. That's very clear in Scripture. And yet, Paul uh, is in this situation where he's trying to help people be careful with their non-essentials, but he's not afraid to teach about this thing. And so, it's instructive for us, isn't it? We should address and talk about these things, but it's how you hold them that matters, right? Because he says, I'm convinced nothing is unclean because... I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. He kind of points to Jesus. He pulls the Jesus card. Jesus taught this. But then says, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. And I understand on this issue is what Paul's saying, that this is not a prime issue. And I'm not going to force somebody whose conscience says otherwise to believe and practice otherwise. It's, it's really amazing, just that one verse, what Paul is saying and laying out for us. And, and I think there's so much to learn from that. And so I would say on these different issues that we could go through the issues, the examples that I listed, and, and I can teach, and we will teach. We're not afraid to teach on these things. And we're not afraid to lead seeking wisdom, but we want to be careful on these things. And by the way, let me say, as your pastor and, and on behalf of all your pastors, we are really grateful for you guys for how you handle these things. Whether the issue is alcohol or response to the pandemic, um, this church has been, in my view, our view, commendable. And you have had opinions, we know, because you've shared them with us, <laughs> but you've done that humbly and graciously. And in some ways, you are an incredible, positive example of this passage. Well done, my brothers and sisters. Well done. It's so important for us to, to, to understand this category and to operate wisely according to Scripture in it. Otherwise, uh, we'll just endlessly be in controversy, endlessly be dividing ourselves over secondary, third-level issues. Endlessly splitting and splitting and running away and not reconciling. And, and, and the reality in the church is that other than your biological family, likely, 
there's no place where you're closer to other people. And the disadvantage we have is that we're not a biological family, so the natural bonds of, of blood are not there. But the closeness of getting to know one another and all of our sinfulness and weakness and all of our opinions is front and center if you're going to do this right. And so now you're faced with Brother Sandpaper who has those opinions. What are you going to do? And this passage helps us understand how to handle these things and why to handle the, them this way. Otherwise, we're in for trouble. I, I know of a church, actually, would not send their pastor to a conference hosted by John, Pastor John MacArthur under this sort of wrong understanding. And it wasn't because John MacArthur believed or did anything wrong. But he associated with the president of Southern Seminary, Al Mohler. But it wasn't because Al Mohler believed or did anything wrong, but he associated with Billy Graham in his day. But it wasn't because Billy Graham did, believed or did anything wrong, but he associated with the Pope, and the Pope is the Antichrist in their view. So that's why they don't go to John MacArthur's conference. That's four degrees of separation. That's where this sort of thinking, wrongly practiced, leads. Because you have to separate. You have to get away from those who hold that opinion that's so wrong. And you go to four degrees. And, and then if it's right that we're all six degrees away from Kevin Bacon, uh, you're, pretty, you're pretty far, you're pretty close to having to separate from yourself at that point. That's that reality. And the bottom line in that is that doesn't look very much like Jesus Christ, does it? So let us not hold lesser opinions so dear. It's not more, they're not more important than your brother. That's what's being said here. So let me ask you, what non-essential opinions do you have? What are the most prominent ones you have? Non-essential. What's your view of COVID and the pandemic and what ought to be done or what ought to have been done? What's your view of how to relate to culture? What's your political view or what's your allegiance politically? Now, there may be essential issues in politics, by the way, so don't hear me wrong, but there's lots of non-essentials. There's lots of variation on other things here. What is your opinion on politics? What's your opinion on the styles for the church? How things are done? The procedures that we have in order to walk out life as a church, we have particular choices we have to make. What are your opinion on those things? What, what non-essential opinions do you hold? You hold them. I know you do. We all do. Have any of these led to unnecessary conflict with brothers or sisters? My dear brother or sister, decide today to put that opinion in its proper place and avoid any sort of damage to your brother or sister or to the church. Next point. How did it get to be 1115? Um, next point. Your opinion is less important than the triune God. Paul continues here. We see in this next section, verses 15 through 19, the, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Now, there are words about stumbling and hindrance and destroy in this passage. And, and again, as I said, they're not, they're not words that just connote a little trip. It's actually a sort of trip that leads to destruction. And if we are not careful with how we hold our, our non-essential opinions, we can actually cause spiritual death and destruction. That's no little thing. This is very serious. And here's how it works. If you are elevating that opinion to the level that appears to be a prime opinion, 
your brother or sister, if they disagree on that, they can accidentally, by just hearing you and how you hold that, think that it's the same as a prime opinion. And particularly if someone's young in Christ or, or they're from a very different perspective than you are, they'll hear that and they'll think, wow, that, I don't agree with that, so this whole thing must be wrong. And for the context that Paul's talking to, for Jewish people, the, the, the possibility is that they would actually hear a Gentile about them eating meat and think, oh no, this whole thing's evil. They do evil things. I can't follow Jesus anymore. And their faith, or at least their apparent faith, is now gone. And so Paul's saying, why would you do that? Why would you take that secondary, third-level opinion and practically make it prime and drive that person away from Jesus? Why would you destroy the work of Christ? Why would you destroy the one for whom Christ died? On that thing, it doesn't matter. Your opinion is not so important. Jesus said, better to tie a millstone around your neck and throw yourself into the ocean that caused one of these little ones to stumble. These are strong words here from Paul. And strong for us. Let us hear the implication to stop pressing our non-essential opinion before we bring permanent harm to somebody. Paul continues, verses 16 and 17, he says, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The word good here, do not let what you regard as good, is, is not the thing, eating meat or whatever it might be. I believe it's the good of the kingdom, because it starts verse 17, for the kingdom of God. It's explaining what, what was said previously. So do not let let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. This follows on from what I just said, that, that when somebody, somebody hears you, they're going to think you're talking about the kingdom. They're going to equate the, the importance of the kingdom itself with what you're saying, that political view, that you have to have voted for this candidate or not voted for this candidate to be a true Christian. Or... You should be free and be able to imbibe in alcohol if you truly are a believer in Jesus. And now they regard the good of the kingdom as evil because you're saying they're equated together. But the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, Paul is saying. It's not whether you wear a mask or not. It's not whether you vote for a certain political party or not. It's not what you think about a particular cultural trend. It's not whether it's okay to drink a good beer or coffee or smoke cigars. These are not at the core of what the kingdom is about. And we must represent things otherwise. No, the kingdom of God is at the core about this experience. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the very Holy Spirit of God. That's what the kingdom is about. And so we need to hold our opinions in such a way that we emphasize this wonder of what the kingdom is about. Righteousness in the Holy Spirit. This speaks of the wonder of what Romans has been talking about. That through Christ alone, by His work, His death on the cross alone, His resurrection alone, overcoming sin and death, dying in our place for our sins, atoning 
paying for those sins, the price that we owe God for our rebellion, paying for that, offering his righteous life, rising again, alive forevermore, reigning right now, ascending and reigning and returning. That righteousness is ours by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is imputed. It's credited to us. But not only that, the Holy Spirit is leading us day by day, year by year, to be conformed to the very image of Christ. There's an infusion of the righteousness of Christ in us. He lives in us and he, he gives us genuine power to, to truly love God and others. There's a true righteousness that's in our lives, however imperfect. What a wonder to be made in the image of Christ, to be remade in the image of Christ together. But not just that, righteousness and peace. We have peace with God. The, the greatest problem, the, the greatest reason for anxiety is dealt with. We have peace with God. We're counted, we're forgiven, we're reconciled. We're counted as very sons and daughters. And he rules over all things, uses all things for our good. There's, there's peace, there's a deep peace. And the Spirit of God ministers that peace to us. Let us ask for him for a growing sense of that peace. But it's not just peace, it's joy. Because we are safe and successful in Christ. Christ has done it. Christ has earned the inheritance of the whole universe. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. He's earned it. And it is ours in Jesus. It's better than anything you could ever accomplish here. What would you do if you won the mega millions when it was over a billion dollars? You would be, I think, full of joy. You have way better inheritance and assets than that. You have the universe. Jesus owns it all and you belong to Jesus. It's your inheritance. So righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom's about. And we don't want to do anything to ever give the impression that it's about other things at the core. Paul continues here in verse 18. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Profound statement. First teaches us that if you're doing this, you're actually not serving that person first or yourself first or the church, as important as those might be. You're actually serving Christ by doing this. And you are acceptable to God and approved by men. What does that mean? I thought we were already acceptable to God through Christ. This is a word that means pleasing. So when you do this, it pleases the father. I, I think of a, a, a good dad at, a, at a, their son or daughter's soccer game and watching the performance, just say he's watching his daughter. She's an amazing athlete, and she goes to score a goal, like takes off, and right before she gets to, to the goal, instead of scoring it herself, she passes it to someone else, that kid on the team who never gets to score. That kid scores, and the joy of the, the dad or the mom being pleased with their child. That's the idea here. The father is pleased. It pleases him. It brings him joy in your life when you do this. And it says approved by men. Again, I thought we shouldn't seek the approval of men because it's so fickle. What does Paul mean? The word here means, in a sense, certified as authentic by men. And so the idea is when we do this, when we live this out as a church and as individuals with one another and with the world, people look at us and say, that's a genuine believer right there. 
They're willing to put those things aside. Now, they have opinions, and, and it's an interesting to engage their opinions, but they obviously don't consider those things as important as the truth and love of God in Christ. And therefore, they're certified as authentic. And this is important, isn't it, right? If people are to be interested in the things of Christ, if people are to be encouraged in the things of Christ, they, they need to look at our lives and see this lived out this way. So we are to pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Of course, this is what does it. Finally, and more quickly, your opinion is less important than faith. Paul reiterates what he's been saying so far. He reiterates these, these points, and, and just a side point to say in this, um, I think we need to be careful here with this truth because sometimes we elevate non-essentials to essential level and it's basically pride that's going on. And, and we need to re repent of that, run to Jesus, find forgiveness and power to do this. But sometimes it's just clumsiness and ignorance. And so we want to grow in just our awareness, our self-awareness. We, we adopted a dog back in April. You can show his picture. Um, he is a golden doodle. He's the largest dog we've ever had. He's like the size of a small Great Dane. We renamed him Yeti. I think you can see why. He looks like the abominable snowman. Yeti's the Asian abominable snowman. We renamed him Yeti. He's a goofball. He's very puppy-like. And he's incredibly clumsy. And he can run really fast. And it's really dangerous. So just the other day, I was with him, and he's just all like enthusiasm running full blast through the woods and crashed into my left leg. He didn't mean to, um, and he's big. And if you, you know, I have an artificial knee in my left leg, and, and it hurt, but he didn't create any permanent damage, thank, thankfully. I wanted to wring his neck, but it, he, was, but he was clumsy and ignorant. And I think sometimes we can be like Yeti with these things. So I just want to give you another category to grow in your self-awareness, to not crash into people with these things. Paul closes with addressing faith. And it, it's interesting what he says as he closes on faith. He basically says, be careful. Your opinion is not more important than your faith. You need to understand that you should not do anything that you don't believe is proper to do. So you might see someone else who can have a drink and love the Lord through that. But for you, that might be sin. So don't try it. Blessed is the one who's not condemned in what they think. So even though you can get it intellectually, if your heart's not there, if your faith's not there, if that subjective sense of faith isn't there, then don't do it. See, there's an, a subjective aspect of faith. There is the objective aspect. There's the truth, right? So we put, our, we put our faith in what is objective outside of us, established in the Bible, clear in the Bible, captured so well in the creeds. But there's a subjective aspect. We all have a subjective sense of our faith. And then we have things that do we believe about this? Are we okay with this? And Paul says that anything without faith is sin because faith is basically believing God that this is the good thing to do. And if you don't believe it's the good thing to do, it's going to be sin for you. And so recognize that. And so hold your opinions in light of that, right? And hold your opinions on how you relate to others in light of that. You actually might tempt someone to sin and not mean to in some way. So as I close, let me sum up. The love of Christ compels us to lay aside personal opinions, 
to promote the peace and growth of God's church. Let me ask you before we transition to communion, what personal opinion do you need to lay aside in this way? Now remember what Christ has laid aside for you. Let that motivate you. Let that remind you of his forgiveness and his example. And then ask God for power to lay that thing aside, to be more aware of it and to put it in its proper place. Take a minute to pray about about that with the Lord and then Pastor Tobi will come up and transition.